time. Um, covenants often reflected either contracts, like business contracts, or military treaties between nations. And, and so, like, you would have these contracts that God would set with his people, right? And, and there are different contracts. There are six of them, specifically, and we're going to touch on all of them. Um, and, and in the Bible, there's almost always an outward sign for a, co a covenant, right? When you get married, you have an outward sign, your wedding ring, right? Unless you're mean, you lose it twice a week, in which case, you know, you have enough outward sign sometimes, but you're supposed to have it, right? But there's this outward sign of the contract. And, and um, our first co covenant, right, is takes place in, in Genesis 2, 16 to 17, and it's very simple. It's the single works-based contract in the Bible. It's, um, Adam, enjoy the garden. Take care of it. Eat whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Except, don't eat off that tree. Right? Very simple. And about five minutes later, they did that. And, and so they break their end, and it's, it's the beginning of, of a problem. Because... God created man initially to, to um, be in a relationship with him, right? We're all designed to be in a relationship with God. You, me, everybody. Um, we're designed to be connected intimately with God. And if you don't believe me, you can read these accounts. And like, when Adam and Eve sin, you see God, what's he doing? He walks through the garden in the pool in the afternoon. And he calls out, where are you guys? Right? It almost makes it sound like it's something that happened all the time. God just, I'm going to go visit my creation. Spend time with my people. Um, the reason that I would argue God created man for relationship is um, we have several major qualities that apply to God, and one of them is love, right? God is love. Um, and, and love is something that does not exist in and of itself, right? I can't say, I have love because I've got to aim it at something. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love tacos. You know, and my, I aim my love at something. <laughs> And, and um, obviously, inanimate things don't make as much sense. The tacos are great. Um, but I love my wife. His love is sort of this selfless, not about me, it's all about you thing, right? And, and in theory, she, she loved me back for whatever reason. Um, and, and, and so we have this back and forth love relationship. Well, if God is love, right, and God is the only thing that's eternal, um, love has to be directed, right? And, and so you have the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, so one God, three persons, so love can exist within that setting. But as a creator, God creates because he loves. So he creates Adam and Eve and he loves them, and they, in turn, rebel. And so the first contract, the first covenant, works out badly. And God goes from this place where he's in this intimate, close relationship with man, to where if you read as Genesis goes... They just rebel, right? People, the, the passage is, uh, um, everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Anybody ever lived that part of your life? I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, and God should just be okay with it. Um, it it's not how God works, right? And it's actually not how relationships work. I love my wife, but I can't do whatever I want and I remain in my relationship with her, right? Sometimes I have to come home at night. Sometimes I have to bring her flowers. Sometimes I have to not slap her around, right? Like, there are rules, and I can't just do whatever I want. Does that make sense? Because her dad would kill me. Um, <laughs> the second covenant we come across is, is the, called the Noahic covenant, right? And what happens is people just get worse and worse and worse and worse, and God says, okay, it's time to hit the reset button, right? <laughs> 
And, and we've all done this. We're in the middle of working on something that, you know, and it stops working right, so you just hit, hit the power button and start over. Um, and, and God does this by sending a flood, and he literally wipes out the creation, except for Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, right? Noah, his boys, their wives, and a, a, a zoo, basically, like a big floating stinky zoo. Um, and, and at the end of it, God makes a covenant with, with Noah. Noah gets out of the boat, and he does his sacrifices, and God says, okay, Noah, here's the deal. I'm never going to kill all of you again. That's my agreement. Now, we don't have a part in that, right? That's God's agreement with us. Um, the, the proper term is called the Caesarean vassal contract. It reflects a relationship between a king and his people, where the king has all the power, and the people got none. If God decided tomorrow morning he was going to wipe us out, who's going to stop? Probably not me, right? Probably not any of you. God can do what he wants. And he says, not going to destroy all of you for sin. Which makes sense because God didn't create us to kill us. God created us to have intimacy with us, right? And so um, he sets a sign. So what's the sign of this covenant? It's the rainbow, right? Like when we look into the sky, this is the assigned sign. Does that mean rainbows never existed before then? I kind of doubt it. They probably existed. God said, hey, Here's my sign, okay? When you see this, remember, I'm not going to destroy you um, for your sins. Uh, Abraham is the next fellow. So God goes past Noah, and the world just sort of does its own thing, and everybody just sort of forgets it, right? And so God says, well, listen, I, I'm still trying to get with you guys. I'm still trying to interact with you, but there's all this distance because of sin, right? You know, people are killing each other, and they're killing their neighbors, and they're stealing, and they're cheating on their wives, and they're worshiping things that are made out of wood and stuff like that. And God's in this spot where he's like, trying to have a relationship with you people. What am I supposed to do here? And so what he does is he picks out one guy, Abram, at the time. Abram, A-B-R-A-F-E, Abram, which basically means guy who doesn't have any kids. And, and Abram's very old, and he says, Abram, if you follow me, I will do these things for you, right? I'll make you a great nation. You'll have lots of descendants. I'll give you your own land. We talked about this last week, actually. Um, most of you guys are sick, though. Um, I'll give you your own land. And, and actually, the very last promise he makes, he says, um, kings will come from your lineage, and the whole world will be blessed through your seed, right? Um, and all you have to do is be my people, and I will be your God. And the sign for this one is circumcision. Right? He says, okay, we're going to... You don't know what that means. Ask your mommy and daddy when you get home. So I'm not explaining it right now. Um, and, and so God makes this agreement with Abraham. He says, um, all of these people will be my people. So the contract begins. Enjoy the world I created for you. Don't rebel. People rebel. God says, okay, I'm going to reset. And the first contract then is, I'm not going to destroy you. But I still want to have a relationship with you, so I'm going to start small. I'm going to start with, with Abraham. And Abraham has how many sons? One. One. Actually, he technically has like eight, but he has one that, that the promise follows through. And so he has I, um, Isaac. And, and the sign of circumcision. So every Jewish person is circumcised. Abraham is the first Jew, right? Um, and this contract follows with the Jewish people. And so we have it where it's specialized now. From here on out, God deals with these guys. And these guys... They're supposed to follow him. And they, they sort of follow him, but it's a very ambiguous relationship. It's a little like when you start dating, 
and, and you sort of wonder what ground am I on right now? You know what I'm talking about? Like, are we exclusive? Are we, you know, do we get to kiss occasionally? Where are we at? Do we hold hands at movies? Like, it's a little ambiguous. And the people know to worship God, and they make sacrifices to God. Um, but they also do things that come from the pagan religions, and eventually God says, okay, well, that's out. Don't do that anymore. Or that's not part of our relationship. You don't get to do this one anymore. Um, but, but, so our first covenant, these are my people. Everybody with me? Um, the next one is Moses. Everybody knows Moses, right? Um, he looked a lot like Charlton Heston. Um, <laughs> Exodus 20 uh, through 23 is a really long passage, and I'm not going to read it to you because it is a really long passage. It starts with the Ten Commandments, right? They start setting rules for how this is going to work. God says, okay, these are my people, and I'm going to judge you based on your adherence to these rules. And the rules are basically how to interact with God and the world around you, right? Don't worship other gods, which is a little like Jess and I have this agreement in our marriage. Don't date other people. That's fair, right? I mean, it seems like a pretty natural agreement. Um, God says first, we're exclusive. You don't lie about me, right? Don't blaspheme as lying about God. We don't, you know, and, and so we have these things. And my other children, you don't get to kill them. And you don't get to steal from them. So, like, take care of the other children, right? And so the Ten Commandments, this is how we follow God. So God goes from, um, you are my people, to, you are my people, and this is how you have a relationship with me. Um, there's another element of it, if you read the whole thing. When you screw up, right? What do you do? You make sacrifice. Because um, for justice to exist, punishment has to happen. But if we all bore all of the punishment for our sins, we would be really in a lot of trouble, right? How many of you guys have committed a couple of serious sins, like, on your way here? <laughs> or, or, you know, I mean, we do it all the time because we're sinful. We're going to break these rules. So God comes up with a system. He says, okay, take a lamb, cut its throat, set it on fire, and that's the punishment that you had coming. And it goes to the lamb. And then you're free. And, and just try not to sin anymore. And, like, you have to be repentant and all these other things. So here are the rules. Here's how you fix it when you mess up. And I'm going to judge you based on your adherence to this system. Are the people any good at it? No. <laughs> they do a terrible job of following these things. Right? So Moses, we have these things. The outward sign is the broken commandments. Uh, when Moses comes off the mountain with the Ten Commandments on the tablets, right? What are the people doing? Yeah, they're worshiping a golden calf, right? And so Moses says, you're not good enough to have these things. He smashes them on the ground. And, and so the outward sign of the law then, or this, the Mosaic Covenant is the broken law, right? And we all live that every single day. Every single day. It would be like God marrying somebody who um, checks out other women all the time. Or um, dates around with other men all the time. Or, um, you know, yells at him all the time. Or um, steals things from his siblings. Or steals things from him. Um, this is the relationship God enters. It's like the most awful marriage relationship ever. Um, but he does it because he loves man. And he wants to fix this relationship. But the problem is if you give me more rules to follow, what am I going to do? Find more ways to break them. Right? Because it's how we are. So man is suddenly judged by um, suddenly judged by these rules. Along comes David. David is the second king of Israel, and he's the one God loves. David is a man after God's own heart. 
And we have what's called the Davidic covenant. David wants to build a temple for God, and God says, no, we will not. This is Second uh, Samuel 7. He shall build a house, referring to, I'm sorry, let me back up. God is going to give him a son who's going to be king. And he starts making this agreement with David. David, here is what I am going to do from here on out. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is immediately referring to Solomon, right? Solomon builds a house in his name, and I'll establish his throne forever, meaning every king in Israel will be a king in the line of David. Everybody with me? So this is a great agreement. Your sons will be kings, and your grandsons will be king. And as long as there's a king in Israel, he's going to be one of your guys. Anybody want that for your boys? <laughs> I want my boys to be kings. I want Jessica to have a baby in June. I would love for him to be a king. I'll settle for being a good guy. Um, and as handsome as this, his dad. Um, <laughs> then God goes on. He says, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, who I removed before you. The Davidic covenant, right? Like the agreement is. The sign is a ruler from the house of David on the throne in Israel. So God has changed his contract with the people again. Um, and this time he's focused it on a king. And he says, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, one of your sons will be king. And then um, I will treat him like he's my son. In fact, when you would coordinate a king in that country, there was a psalm. It was Psalm 2 that they would sing, right? And that, that psalm has this line in it. Um, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, and, and it's to indicate that this, this king was one of God's sons. He took a special position before God, and God treated him like a son. But if he messed up, God would punish him. Now, here's the way this plays out in the long run. Whenever a king would mess up, everybody got punished. So, when Israel's kings would mess up, the whole country would suffer. And when Israel's kings did well, the whole country was blessed. And so the way that the contract shifts is, I'm going to judge you based on your adherence to the law, and now it's, I'm going to judge all of you based on the adherence of your king to the law. Which was great when you had great kings. Israel didn't have very many good kings. Like after a certain point, they're all awful, right? And eventually God wipes the country out. And it's very difficult. Like, it's a very difficult thing to be judged based on someone else's community. <coughs> group projects in school? That was the worst, right? Like, you were supposed to learn teamwork and all this. The only thing you taught you was, don't trust anyone. Because <laughs> you were going to do a lot more work than that other church. I mean, that's what it came down to, right? And if I had to be judged by somebody else's deal, it's not good. And the Israelites found this. That kings worship everything. They worship trees. They worship each other. They, there was a point in time. Well, I'm not going to tell that story. Um, <laughs> it gets really bad. But forever, God keeps his end of this agreement. There will always be a king from David's line on the throne in Israel. The new covenant. Um, actually, we're going to review here. So the effects of these covenants. First, God won't destroy man. Second, um, God picks a group of people who he'll deal with exclusively who are the descendants of Abraham. Third, judged by the law and the sacrifices. Fourth, God's people are judged based on the king's righteousness. Everybody with me? And David kings forever. 
we get to the new covenant. This is Jeremiah 31, 31 and 34. And the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant. Remember the broken commandments? Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors saying to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. There's another variation of this in Ezekiel where God says, listen, I'm going to take their hearts of stone out. I'm going to replace them with hearts of flesh. I'm going to make them brand new, right? And they, the prophets start talking about this new covenant. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to write my law on their hearts. They're going to obey it because they want to. Not because if they don't, they get killed, right? Um, the new covenant um, takes place when Jesus, God's son, comes along, right? And we start seeing some of this stuff play out. Jesus is a descendant of David, right? He's David's great, 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 grandchild. Which means he's eligible to be what? And when he's baptized, what does God call down from heaven? This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. So when we read about the baptism of Jesus, God steps in and coordinates that's what happens there. God steps in and says, this is my son. He sings the song of making a new king. And so we have a king, like God fulfills, hey, a king forever, right? How does Jesus do with the commandments? Well, he obeys them perfectly. And then, he gets punished for it. For obeying them perfectly? No, because I don't obey them perfectly. So, if I'm judged based on the king of Israel's perfect obedience to the law, right? Because God judges his people by the king's obedience. If Jesus is the last king and he obeys perfectly and I'm one of his people, how do I get judged? I get judged as a man who's righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. Um, Palm Sunday, this is Palm Sunday, by the way. We didn't really observe it very carefully this week. I'm sorry, I didn't know where my palm leaves. Um, <laughs> and I thought about it two days ago. Um, <laughs> on Palm Sunday, when they laid down the palm leaves, that was a habit. Uh, that was a custom that they did when a conquering king would show up, and they would celebrate a conquering king. And so they're the last king in the line of David comes riding into town, and they celebrate him like a king. Um, and all of the covenants, all of these stages come together uh, on Easter Sunday, or on Good Friday, when Jesus is sacrificed. Right? Because how under Moses, how did he get rid of sin? He sacrificed a perfect lamb. And well, lo and behold, perfect observer of the law sacrificed, and God's wrath against you and me is poured out on him. We don't deserve it. They've never earned it. Can't pay it back. But it was all on him. And every covenant, every stage in God's relationship with man from narrowing down who he would deal with, from giving guidelines for how to deal with him, for bringing it down to one man, to Jesus himself. Like, all work together for your salvation, for Easter, the Good Friday. 
David's the last of the king. He'll reign forever. His throne is everlasting like he promised David. And we're all judged according to his adherence to the law. Um, the sign of, of this is communion, right? And Jesus says so himself. He gathers up his disciples on Thursday. It's Monday, Thursday. This is coming Thursday. He says, uh, this is my body. He breaks the bread and gives it out. Do this in remembrance of me as a sign of the new and everlasting covenant. So God's sign for the covenant, for this last contract agreement, is communion. Remembering the body and blood of Christ. So how does this work out for us? The sermon title this week is Cleaning Up God's, yeah, cleaning up Life's Biggest and Littlest Messes. Well, how many of y'all have developed messes in life? How many of you guys came in here sitting in one? Um, I'm judged by God according to Jesus' righteousness. That's the cleansing solution God comes up with for me. Um, in Isaiah, uh, the prophet writes, uh, Though my sins are like scarlet, will make them white as snow. But what better promise is there, right? This is how God cleans up the mess we make of our lives. One step after another in increasingly defining his relationship with us and then redeeming us. So, God's desire is repair this relationship. Um, works through, oh wow, I lost it. How does this play out in our lives? Well, first off, we're supposed to live as a redeemed people, right? Um, Paul says, listen, um, we're forgiven. Grace applies to all of our sins. Does that mean we should go out and sin some more so that grace will just keep coming? No. Repentance, the word repentance that the Bible uses to describe what we're supposed to do means to turn around and go the other way. And so as we struggle with sin, our calling, you know, our, our duty is to get up and go the other way, right? Um, that's first. Repent. Live like a redeemed people. The second here is... Um, this relationship element, right? Um, how many, some of you guys are married, right? Do you talk to your wife at least twice a week or your husband at least twice a week? Like, is your relationship better when you talk to your, your significant other? You have to talk to God, right? We have to spend time with Him. That's part of what worship is, right? Um, we spend time, some of you guys are giggling about that. I know what you're thinking. Um, <laughs> We're called to spend time with God, to be intimate with Him. We worship God. We gather and sing and praise and worship because that's part of how we establish and continue a relationship with God. Um, we interact with each other and fellowship with each other. Why? It's part of how we do it. We spend time praying on our own. We read our scriptures. We develop a relationship with God. God did all of these things to establish intimacy with us, to be close to you and me for whatever reason. This is how we're supposed to live it. This is how this is supposed to play out. Um, Easter is about life change because we're given a gift that we could never get any other way. Grace, forgiveness, a renewed relationship with God. And the whole of history works together to make it happen for you. We're going to close in prayer. And actually, I've written on my hand, and I was supposed to remember it, and I didn't look at my hands when we were doing prayer. Um, David Allen is a fellow who um, um, is in great qualities, had pancreatitis, and I was asked to pray for him this morning, and I forgot, so we're going to pray for him as we close. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that um, you would be with us this morning. Help us to live like a redeemed people. Help us to live like people who are, are made new by the blood of your Son, um, who are redeemed we're judged by his righteousness, not our own fallenness. I pray that you would uh, help us to remember that and celebrate this Easter season and, 
and that it would be something that would spread out every element of our lives. Um, and I pray for David Allen, who's, who's in the hospital with pancreatitis, and I pray that you would bring him back to health. In Christ's name.